Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of lactation and breastfeeding found under the obstetric section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 28-year-old G1P1 woman presents to her primary care physician for evaluation of low supply of breast milk. She is a first-time mother and had previously been evaluated by a lactation consultant. Her eight-week-old baby had been feeding and gaining weight well until the past two weeks, when the mother observed less wet diapers and a decreased volume of milk that she was able to pump. The woman notes that she had a normal course of pregnancy with no complications and had an unremarkable labor and delivery. Her breast exam in the clinic today is normal. Let's continue with an introduction to lactation and breastfeeding. As a general overview, breastfeeding is recommended for newborn infants as breast milk provides the ideal nutrition for the baby to grow and has the benefits for both the baby and the mother. In terms of the physiology, lactogenesis begins in late pregnancy. There's copious milk secretion beginning around two to three days after birth. The endocrine control switches to an autocrine or supply-demand control. The mammary gland receives hormonal signals, which increase in direct response to stimulation of the nipple and areola through the infant suckling. The lactation occurs with the help of two hormones. Prolactin is secreted by the anterior pituitary, which decreases GnRH release and can lead to amenorrhea, and oxytocin is secreted by the posterior pituitary. Milk production is associated with maternal well-being. Remember that increased levels of dopamine and norepinephrine inhibit prolactin synthesis, so stress and fatigue may decrease a woman's milk supply. Galactopoiesis occurs after nine days after birth, maintaining milk secretion. Then there is involution which occurs around 40 days after last breastfeeding, so milk secretion will decrease with the buildup of inhibiting peptides. Contraindications to breastfeeding include an active, untreated tuberculosis, active varicella infection within five days before delivery or two days after delivery, untreated brucellosis, maternal infection with HIV or Ebola, herpetic lesions of the breast, and active abuse of illicit drugs, including PCP and cocaine. Remember that methadone use as part of a supervised clinic is not a contraindication. And another contraindication is infants with classic galactosemia. In terms of the epidemiology, among infants born in the United States in 2015, over 80% of those babies started out breastfeeding. Complications related to breastfeeding include an inadequate milk intake. Possible contributing factors include inadequate maternal milk production. This can be due to previous maternal breast surgery, if there are maternal medications that interfere with the establishment of milk supply, such as oxytocin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, dopamine agonists such as bromocryptine, and estrogen-containing oral contraceptives. Another possible factor may be poor infant's milk extraction. This may be due to oral motor or neurologic abnormalities or anatomic abnormalities such as cleft palate or feeding difficulties due to prematurity. Another complication is breast milk jaundice. This is persistence of benign neonatal hyperbilirubinemia beyond the first two to three weeks of age. There may be lactation failure jaundice, this is when there is lactation failure, which leads to a decrease in neonatal fluid and calorie intake, leading to hypovolemia and weight loss. This then results in hyperbilirubinemia and jaundice. This can be seen in late preterm infants with a gestational age between 34 to 36 weeks, which have an increased risk of difficulty establishing successful breastfeeding 
compared to term infants. There may be nipple and breast pain. Possible contributing factors include nipple injury due to inadequate infant latch-on, nipple vasoconstriction, which can be due to cutaneous vasospasm that can occur in mothers with Raynaud's phenomenon or cold sensitivity. There can be engorgement, a plugged duct due to localized areas of milk stasis within the ducts that causes distension of the mammary tissue. There may be nipple and breast infections. Remember that lactational mastitis presents with a fever and a firm, red, and tender area of one breast. A breast abscess is often preceded by mastitis, and it presents similar to mastitis with an additional tender and palpable mass. There may be excessive milk supply, which may be caused by drugs that increase milk production, such as dopamine antagonists and certain herbs, such as fenugreek. And lastly, there may be nipple or areolar dermatitis. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to lactation and breastfeeding, let's walk through a question to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For this question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 27-year-old woman presents to her primary care physician for amenorrhea. She gave birth six months ago. She had regular menses prior to pregnancy, but states that her menses have not returned after delivery of the infant. She reports feeling sad and crying in the first two weeks after delivery, but these symptoms have largely resolved. She also reports some mild ongoing insomnia. She has a history of atopic dermatitis for which she occasionally uses topical hydrocortisone. She does not smoke and drinks alcohol socially. The patient's temperature is 98.9 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.2 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 120 over 70. Pulse is 90 beats per minute. Respirations are 18 breaths per minute and she has a body mass index of 24.3. Physical exam reveals a woman breastfeeding her infant. Her visual field defects are intact. She walks with a steady gait and has 5 out of 5 strength in her upper and lower extremities. Her cranial nerves are grossly intact. Skin exam is unremarkable. Which of the following is the most likely cause of her symptoms? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Benign supracellar tumor Choice 2. Functional hypothalamic amenorrhea Choice 3. Hormone-secreting tumor of lactotrophs Choice 4. Medication side effect Or Choice 5. Physiologic elevation of prolactin The best answer to this question is Choice 5. Physiologic elevation of prolactin This breastfeeding mother presenting with postpartum amenorrhea likely has physiologic elevation of her prolactin levels, causing suppression of gonadotropin-releasing hormone, which leads to amenorrhea. In the hypothalamic-pituitary-gonadal axis, the release of GnRH by the hypothalamus causes the production and secretion of the sex hormones, luteinizing hormone, and follicle-stimulating hormone by pituitary cells. These sex hormones then act on their target tissues in the female reproductive system to regulate the menstrual cycle. Disruption of the axis can lead to amenorrhea or oligomenorrhea. Prolactin has an inhibitory effect on the GnRH-secreting cells of the hypothalamus. Thus, states of hyperprolactinemia, such as from a prolactinoma, can cause amenorrhea. While breastfeeding, prolactin levels are naturally elevated to stimulate mammary alveoli growth, where milk production occurs. While breastfeeding may elevate prolactin levels and cause amenorrhea, it is not a reliable form of contraception. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. 
A benign supracellular tumor often refers to a craniopharyngioma, which can suppress sex hormone production in the pituitary gland due to mass effect. However, craniopharyngiomas are more common in children or adults aged 50 to 70. Other symptoms include headache and visual field disturbances, which would be expected. Choice 2. Functional hypothalamic amenorrhea can be caused by excessive exercise, poor nutrition, or stress. This patient has a normal BMI and is not exercising excessively. Given that she is breastfeeding, physiologic hyperprolactinemia is more likely. Choice 3. A hormone-secreting tumor of lactotrophs can cause amenorrhea via hypersecretion of prolactin, resulting in inhibition of the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis. Large prolactinomas can also cause compression of the visual pathway and headache due to mass effect. Given that this patient is currently breastfeeding, physiologic hyperprolactinemia is more likely. Choice 4. A medication side effect of systemic corticosteroids is amenorrhea due to suppression of GnRH release by high levels of cortisol. This side effect is unlikely with topical corticosteroid preparations, which have a low systemic absorption. Finally, a bullet summary. Breastfeeding can result in elevated prolactin levels, which can inhibit the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis to cause amenorrhea. That's all for this review about lactation and breastfeeding. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast.